All right. Welcome to the show today, John. How are you doing? Hey, Dan. Excited to be here. Doing great. And I uh, look forward to our conversation. I, yeah, I do as well. Where Tell our listeners and viewers out there in YouTube land, where are you Zooming in from today? Zooming in from Atlanta, Georgia. So uh, here in the heart of the city in Buckhead and uh, calling in from our home office. So All right. Well, uh, congrats on that, uh, that World Series win. That was, that was- that was kind of a special run, I think. I appreciate it. No, the city's really gotten behind the Braves. It's been fun. We we usually find a way to blow things last minute <laughs> as a city. So this was a big win. And currently our Georgia Bulldogs are number one in the rankings. So holding our breath on that one. All right. Well, I think by the time this podcast goes live, the, uh, they, they, they may have announced the, the college uh, playoffs by then. So um, hopefully, hopefully when this drops... They are still up there. Yeah. Anyway, what, uh, what, tell our listeners a little bit about your background. And, and I know you're doing some really interesting stuff that a lot of, you know, traditional kind of investors or even real estate people may not know about or may have misconceptions about. So uh, give, give the hyper fascination a little bit of background on you and, and what you're up to these days. Yeah, no, like so many of your listeners, you know, much of my career was spent in the corporate world and uh, had a great run, Um, got to do some international work and work with some large companies. Um, But like so many, I had that entrepreneurial itch to do something a little, you know, whether it be with a small private company or on my own, you know, I knew I didn't want to do the big company world forever. So a little over five years ago, I had the opportunity to to leave and step in with a shelf genie franchise system, which is a large... um, uh, North American franchise. Uh, it's custom plot shelving for kitchens and pantries. And I stepped in and, and served as president, uh, leading the company to some really uh, great years of growth. And uh, during that experience, it really opened up my eyes to um, to this world of what I now call non-food franchising. You know, what I found is oftentimes when people hear the F word franchise, they think mm-hmm. fast food. And yet there's a lot of sectors and industries out there that people have an interest in but it's just not on their radar. And so I've really enjoyed over the past couple of years, you know, pivoting from, uh, from Shelf Genie, had business partners, we bought into some franchises ourselves. Um, but for the most part, we have good people running those for us. And so I'm able to spend probably 90% of my time getting out there, working with clients, helping them uh, understand the options that are available to them, helping them understand how franchising works and connecting them with the opportunities that fit a lot of their criteria ultimately, uh, you know, I see resonating across the U.S. with people with similar backgrounds. And it's really a lot of fun for me because I'd say more than 80% of the client deals that I do are with opportunities that the client never had on their radar. And so I know we'll get into some of that in our conversation here. But um, no, by and large, I I, I get to uh, arrange marriages between Mm. uh, great opportunities, oftentimes with emerging brands across a wide variety of sectors, and then those that are looking for either a full-time opportunity, say you're stepping away from the corporate world, or what we call semi-absentee, where maybe you have time to put in 10 to 15 hours a week. Um, and over time, you could even pull back a little more if you put good people in place to run the business. Um, but w- what we're seeing out there on, you know, overall in the market is right now, I think a lot of people coming out of COVID really have this desire to, to take control and, and to or at least have a sense of freedom and and uh, you know, scratch that entrepreneurial itch. And so we are seeing just unprecedented levels of interest in, in what we're doing. And uh, we have a lot of fun doing it. So are you, are you typically on the side of helping the franchisor or the franchisee? 
Yeah, great questions. So I work with over 300 brands across the U.S. These are ones that we vetted and selected to work with. Um, and then I uh, really straddle both sides of the table, but I definitely see myself more so on the client side. Um, I'm representing them as we go through the, uh, through the transaction process and the exploration process. And the great thing is, is, you know, there's no fee for my clients. Um, you know, I get paid by the franchisors on the back end when placements happen, very much like a, a real estate agent model or an executive uh, recruiter type model. So, um, you know, and none of that gets passed on to my clients in any form or fashion. So it really is a great, a great opportunity for me to, to not have to have that as a barrier. Yeah, I, I actually, in some of the groups I'm in, I, I know some successful real estate brokers, owners who've gotten into uh, Massage Envy was one, Orange Theory, you know, so there's, I know there's there's stuff out there like other than food, like like you mentioned, that's fairly uh, popular. Who who is interested in this right now, and why? Yeah, so it's really a wide spectrum. I mean, year to date, I've done placements with everyone from their twenties through Gen X, all the way up to you know your traditional baby boomers that oftentimes people think of uh, stepping into these roles. And you know, some are doing it full time. I'm 42 years old. I work with quite a few people right around my age range, uh, doing it full time or, or on the side. I also give a talk to groups of investors where I talk about franchising as an asset class. And what we're seeing right now is record levels of cash on the sidelines. We're seeing you know, stock market at all time highs, low interest rates, only so many good real estate deals to be had. And I will say that probably more than half of my clients own real estate as an investment, uh, myself included. Um, but they're looking for ways to, you know, to diversify that portfolio. And maybe, uh, you know, quite a few of the agents that I work with and real estate investors are looking for businesses that may complement, uh, you know, their current practice. And, um, you know, that could look like everything from, you know, renovation type businesses to um, did one recently as a roll off dumpster type business. I, I've got uh, some real estate agents that are out in Dallas this week meeting with a franchisor that's a property management business. Um, and so it really can't take a lot of forms and fashions. I, I'll say industry-wise, where we've seen probably the most interest over the past year is in what I would call kind of the non-sexy arena. And so I think non-sexy is the new sexy. People are liking businesses that um, you know, are very, you know, let's think serve pro type model. Businesses that um, our needs-based essential services um, oftentimes don't require a physical location. So you are able to work remote um, and really scale it up at your own pace. Um, I'd say that's really been resonating. Um, you know, granted, we are still doing quite a few brick and mortar retail traditional type businesses. I just did a 10 pack oil change recently between Atlanta and Raleigh uh, for some clients. Um, and so we're still doing businesses like that, or, you know, you mentioned fitness, that health and wellness space, uh, anything related to the senior population, that aging demographic is certainly resonating as well. Yeah, I, um, that's funny you mentioned the non-sexy, non, um, you know, you know, boring, I guess, boring is, is the word you used, uh, businesses, that those are actually the ones that are hot. I, I just came back from a, a convention called Contrarian Uncons, put on by Cody Sanchez. She's got a good newsletter called Contrarian Thinking. I think she was actually a guest on the show. Well, it's probably right, right around the start of COVID. So I don't know, it might have been like episode 150 or somewhere back in that range. But she, her whole newsletter is basically like 
boring ways to get cash flow. Like she's done guys, you know, and, and gals who've done things like car washes, laundromats, um, self-storage, ice makers. Like, you know, you, you buy a ice maker basically and people, people come and you know, pay money, all, all sorts of things like tiny homes, Airbnbs, like, like little things that, you know, they're not the next social media app or tech venture that is like your, you know, 10 year lottery ticket basically. And, uh, you know, I've learned a lot from that. If, if you're listening, go back and check out that, that interview with, with Cody Sanchez. But, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm seeing, you know, I agree with you. I'm seeing this big, big movement in non-sexy. And, and I wonder, like, you know, are the Blackstones, are the private equity, are, are these guys going to figure that out and, and, and come in and bid up all the prices on these boring businesses at some point? Oh, they have. They have. Yeah. I get multiple calls from private equity firms each week uh, looking for franchisors to invest in. And some, in some cases, like you mentioned Orange Theory, they'll come in and buy up a large swath of franchisees and do a roll-up. But oftentimes they're looking at these emerging franchisors that may have five locations or 20 locations, and they've got a unique about them. And they like the niche that they play in. I was talking with a guy from Princeton Equity Group yesterday, and you know, they've got six companies they have LOIs on right now where they're coming in. And, and, and franchising you know, it's really attracted to private equity for a lot of reasons, same reasons attracted to a lot of would-be buyers. Um, you know, you know, fran the franchising model, you know, nothing's a given. Everything requires work. You know, I never want my clients to think it's too easy, but, you know, a lot of things have been figured out for you and you are able to kind of start on third base instead of first base. Um, mm -hmm. And to, to be totally cliche, it's, um, you know, you're in business for yourself, not by yourself. You've got that franchise, or I think of them as kind of a coach on the sidelines. Um, you know, their interests are aligned with you. The better you do, the better they do. Uh, you've got other franchisees that, um, you know, may be testing different marketing vehicles in their market. And if it works or doesn't work there, you're able to apply it to yours. And so um, you do have a large support system. Obviously, you've got the playbook, you know, uh, again, these are proven business models. There's a market need. You're not having to work, worry about product market fit. Now, some businesses, let's say pool cleaning, might be more relevant in Florida than they are in upper Minnesota. They have a longer seasonality to them. So you do have some differences like that, but by and large, a proven model has gone before you. And you know, I, I think the financial piece is, is really interesting too. You know, oftentimes when you're going in to buy a business, you're having to really pull back the covers and dig under the hood with franchises. They've got what's called an item 19 within their FDD, the franchise disclosure document. Every franchise system has one. The item 19 can be broken out different ways, but it gives you some really good color on what you're buying into. Here's the average across other markets of their revenue and margin, let's say. And uh, of course it's not a given, but again, you're not just building a pro forma on the back of a napkin. And so you're able to step in. You're also able to talk to other franchisees uh, that have bought into the system through what we call validation. And through that, you're able to get a lot of insights into what the potential of that business is. Hold that thought for a second. Do you struggle with how to scale your real estate business without trading your most valuable asset, your time, for money? If so, Carrie and I want to help you. Since March of 2020, we have doubled our sales and tripled our profit. And we want to help you grow your real estate business in a smart way at the Hyperfast Summit in Boca Raton, Florida on February 1st and 2nd, 2022. We're bringing together top real estate leaders to help agents from all over the world. Go to hfasummit.com for tickets. Again, that's hfasummit.com for tickets. Well, um, 
Yeah, if, if just just in case you guys want to go back and listen, that was episode 185 with Cody on the boring businesses. And and you know, like you were saying, franchise franchises have have this proven model, right? Boring businesses have a proven model. Do you happen to know or or have a rough guess at success rates on you know someone going out and just starting from scratch versus someone plugging into a good franchise? Yeah, you know, you hear different estimates. I mean, they, there's not an exact number, but you know, if you were to go out and you know start a startup, you know, more than uh, you know, eighty percent of those businesses fail within the first five years. You know, if you break it down, you know, first year, you know, X number, uh, you make it past the first year. So, you know, it, there nothing's easy. Again, there are going to be challenges along the way, but if you've got the support system, if you've got those um, pieces in place, and a lot of things have been tried, your success rate is much higher with franchising. Um, the success rate, I'd say, is, is close to 80 to 90%. Um, and that varies by franchise system. But, you know, the franchises we work with, we vetted the leadership team, the model, um, you know, a lot of different aspects around how they support their franchisees to give our clients the best chance of success uh, stepping into those. You know, those, those are kind of similar, as it strikes me as, as, as I'm listening to you, kind of similar figures in, in the real estate agent world. You know, if you're an independent agent, you start off on your own as the loan agent. Uh, chances of being in the industry five years later are like like thirteen percent, fourteen percent, like like eighty five percent or so aren't going to make it. You join a good team, like like you know the agents on our team. Uh, you know you're you're at fifty sixty percent success rate at at least, right? So you're you're going up like six seven eight you know times the success rate. Um, yes, there are you know, fees and, and whatnot associated with that. But if you've got a better chance of, of succeeding, you know, I think the question people need to, to ponder is, is the risk worth it? And would I, would I rather have a, you know, a hundred percent of a really, really, really small piece of pie or, or do I want a big pie and, and, and a little less percentage? And, um, you know, that's I, an, I, think, I think, I think that thought process yeah. might, might, surprise people. Yeah, that, that's an excellent point because you are paying typically a six or 7% royalty on average on your revenue back to the franchisor. And so, you know, if my clients always want to make sure that they're getting the innovation and the support to justify, you know, what they're paying back to that franchisor along the way. Um, it, it is interesting as far as what you're able to exit for in a franchise versus non-franchise. Because, um, you know, when you're building a business, you're thinking about a few things. One, the cash flow. Two, the exit potential. Three, you know, what I oftentimes remind clients of mine is, hey, if you're making 300000 as a business owner, that's different than 300000 in the corporate world because ultimately you're able to write off a lot of expenses. So there is some intangibles along with it. Um, but the Riker School of Business hitting on the uh, exit multiple, they did a study recently across 10 years of transactions, over 2,000 transactions in like-kind industries, franchise and non-franchise. What they found is franchise businesses traded at a one and a half multiple of the non-franchise businesses. So the value is seen from a resale standpoint when you go to exit as well. Um, so that is a piece that oftentimes people forget about as you're building that asset. Uh, just like you know, if you're a real estate investor, you're hoping for some appreciation along the way, not just that cash flow while you own it. Yeah, good point. Uh, outside of food, and I think we've mentioned like Orange Theory and uh, you know, Massage Envy, uh, what other industries are, are popular right now? 
Yeah, you know, I'd say the home services, property services space has probably been number one. Um, okay. It has been. And, you know, you look at our year, year to date deals, you know, I've done a couple of mosquito deals, um, you know, property management deals, which I mentioned. I've got a client, uh, former Wall Street attorney right outside of Boston that this week is signing for a gutter business. And, you know, you think gutters, well, that's a $7 billion industry. And, um, it's just been attracting a lot of people. When you look at the financials, you're all on investment on that one. If you were to do one territory is about 130, 140,000. And they're averaging across their franchisees, 1.2 million in revenue per location with 383 dropping the bottom lines so call it a 34, 35% EBITDA margin, wow. which. So you're, you're telling me in, in one year, you'll get twice your investment back. So I oftentimes tell my clients, let's Think about their average as a year two run sure. rate. Uh, but in year one, <laughs> last, like <laughs> last year during COVID, they had three franchisees that launched in which one did 800,000, one did 1.2 million, and one did 2 million in the first year. Wow. Now, I will say that gutter business, and it's absolutely on fire right now, it, it, it carries a higher margin than a lot of comparable businesses. Sure. However, I think about, you know, one of the hottest ones out there has been an insulation business. That's a B2B, B2C market, $52 billion a year. And they're doing, uh, you know, about 35% margin on the bottom line. So Martin, what, what they come in and do like insulation on new, new homes or is that new homes, renovations, yeah. you know, okay. obviously if there's been, uh, you know, mold issues or infestation, or let's say hmm. some kind of, you know, uh, you know, flooding and, um, and oftentimes, you know, how much, how much is, how much does one of those cost to start? Yeah. So it, similarly, cause you don't have that brick and mortar location mm -hmm. with the build out cost. So, you know, you may have a, a physical place, but it'd be on the back end. It's not customer facing. So you're able to get in uh, 140, 160,000 to that one, including the vehicle and trailer and the equipment. And mm -hmm. of course you're not as the owner going out there and laying insulation. Now, in some cases, maybe you have to roll up your sleeves and do that. I, I do think you'd be running some of the sales appointments early on, and then you hand that off to a general manager over time, um, depending on how you structure it. But no, you know, for one territory, their average is close to 500,000 in revenue, and they're doing about 35% EBITDA margins, call it 30, you know, call it 160, 170,000 drop on the bottom line. And I've seen Harvard MBAs buy into that business. I saw an mm. MIT grad recently, people that have really no background in insulation. That is right. the nice thing about franchising. Oftentimes franchisors, I know when I was with Shelf Genie, we love people with different backgrounds that brought different perspectives and didn't always bring baggage. Like they were the smartest guy in the room. So um, where, you know, these guys quitting their, quitting their other jobs or, or do some of them, come in and just buy it and they're like i'll take i'll take less profit but i i want to be hands off and they hire like you know good yeah. managers from the start or what what's, both. what's that like yeah both i i'd say when you look at my clients it's probably pretty evenly split 50 50 some are going full-time some are going part-time you know one client of mine uh, over in columbia south carolina he's the largest franchisee of two men in a truck franchise system you know it's a moving uh, company right operates in nine or 10 markets, young guy, 39 years old, uh, but he's really built up a nice little empire there and, um, you know, doing 30 million plus per year in revenue. Well, he and I did two deals together last year. One was for a, um, a trash smashing company. I, I won't go down that trail, but it's an awesome business. Bought that in Charleston and bought a driveway repair business in Greenville. And, and uh, in both cases, he's not running the business. He put a young guy, 26, 27, over each business, gave them a little bit of equity and said, hey, go make me proud. 
And in both of those, he's come back since then and bought additional locations of those businesses. So obviously, you know, it's working well for him. And so I love that. I mean, that's where I get my validation is when clients come back and either make referrals or buy additional locations. That's that's uh, what I love seeing. So no, that's a long way of answering, but we do see um, folks either buying and jumping in full time, like the Wall Street attorney that I mentioned outside of Boston, he's going to do it full time. However, his goal is two, three years from now to bring in concept number two and then concept number three and build that portfolio of services. Um, and that's a common strategy as well. Now for, let's, let's think expansion here. You've, you've thrown out a couple of examples, models. If someone were to come in and do one of these and uh, succeed, are they better off expanding geographically, but you know, staying with gutters or should the gutter guy go out and be like, hey, in this town, you know, we'll, we'll call it like, I don't know, like, like Washington, DC, I'm, I'm the gutter guy now, right? Um, maybe I'll go buy the insulation. Maybe I'll go buy the, the moving service, right? Now I've got, you know, I, I can sell the, the same gutter, you know, the gutter clients can become clients of that. So what do you, do you see more vertical or integration like that or more horizontal or, or both? Excellent question. We do see both. I, okay. I, I have a lot of clients that like that idea of having uh, a number of different businesses in their portfolio. I always caution them, hey, let's make sure we get one right, even if right. it's your vision before we launch number two, just because that can be a lot. Um, and I've seen that be a challenge for people. But you know, then we then I see those with diversification. I, I've got clients, you mentioned DC, uh, right across uh, over in Baltimore, three guys, they've partnered up, they're all in the medical space. But we did a four territory mosquito deal back in the spring. And now I've got them looking at a few different businesses. They're looking at a, a painting resale business. And then they're also looking at um, an IT coding and STEM training, like uh, a computer programming for kids business in Atlanta, where they would hire someone in Atlanta to run that. So <laughs> two very different types of approaches there. Um, so I do see some of my clients liking, you know, let's go deep in this business that we know well. And, you know, sometimes they're landlocked. Maybe there's another franchisee, so they can't expand uh, geographically, or they may say, hey, let's acquire that adjacent franchisee. And it's kind of a natural exit strategy for them. And so I do see that approach as well as uh, a lot of people taking that diversification approach. And it could be diversifying in that, hey, we, we have a mosquito business and a painting business and a renovation business and they all kind of complement and sure. you know it, lower cost of customer acquisition is everything um but then some say hey i really like the idea of having very diverse you know uh, non-tangential type businesses too hey hold that thought do you want to get 100 tips for free from my best selling real estate book the hyper local hyper fast real estate agent if you do go to hyperfasttips.com and you can download 100 of my best tips today. Again, that's hyperfasttips.com. You can download a hundred tips on how to grow your business, get more clients, deliver more value to more people. Go to hyperfasttips.com. Yeah. So a lot of, a lot of different opportunities out there. If someone is listening to this show and is interested, you know, they hear these numbers that you've tossed out or just like the concepts, uh, and, and they call you up, but they have no idea what they actually want to do. How do you how do you go about helping them pick the right business, the right franchise? 
First off, I would let them know they're normal and, and I would <laughs> encourage them to understand there are a lot of people in the, in the same position around the country thinking the same way they are. And what I would do is spend a few minutes getting to know them, ask some questions. I've kind of learned over time what key questions I need to ask to really understand which direction we want to go. And it's all about process of eliminating. So we're trying to eliminate opportunities. For, you know, I, I know the 30 or so that are most resonating with people out there today. Those are going to be top of mind for me. I'm listening for clues and talking with my clients, but understanding their financial situation, you know, we're able to plug them in on the, on the funding side, whether it be SBA loans, or we've got some neat portfolio loan and, and uh, mm. uh, type products and, you know, retirement's a, a common way that people fund it as well. There's some neat, uh, the Rob's program, for instance. Um, but no, to, on the process it would be get to know them, you know, spend about 30 minutes or so, um, then have them fill out a questionnaire that takes less than 10 minutes to fill out, gives me some additional information on them. And then we'll get on a Zoom call where I'll share my screen and we'll walk through, you know, five, six, seven opportunities that are available in their market that fit the criteria that we uh, talked about. And so you know, I'll take them through the websites, explain the financials, help them understand the context around the business. Um, and I have them narrow those down to two or three to actually then have a conversation with. So I will introduce them to the brands. Um, it's entirely non-obligatory -oblig for them. They can, uh, after one call, say, hey, that's not the right fit for me. Or they may say, hey, I'm really interested. Let's keep talking. Um, and so then it'll be a series of calls from there. And you know, through that, I'm holding their hand, serving as a sounding board, helping them process what they're hearing. And uh, Ultimately, the franchisor has their process where they define territories, they go through the franchise disclosure document, they put them in touch with other franchisees, and ultimately reach that point of, um, you know, is this the right opportunity for you? So, um, go ahead. No, I, I, um, um, I, I think that's amazing because, you know, it's, it's hard to know if, if you don't you know, have, have like a passion, I think, or for, for one kind of industry or experience um, you know, in, in something already. So I think going through that process up front probably saves them a lot of, you know, heartache down the road. Um, uh, without a doubt. And it, like I said, over 80% of my clients end up in a concept that never was on their radar. Yeah. Oftentimes they've never heard of the brand. So th that's the fun part. It's when we peel back the onion and say, hey, this opportunity you never would have considered fits your criteria. Do you, um, do you also work with investors who, you know, maybe connecting them with people that want to be operators or, or open up a fan? Folks out there with, with capital, you know, you said there's a lot of cash right now on the sidelines and with inflation, that cash is dwindling, right? So there's, there's probably a lot more people willing to fund these kind of deals. Do you, do you connect the capital with the actual operator or franchisee? As well, in in some cases, yes. I've got a few examples right now that, that I'm working through. I, I, to be candid, I'm still in beta testing mode on that. You know, mm -hmm. I do think I do think there's a lot of money that wants to get into franchising, doesn't want to have any hand in the business. I, I think the best approach is typically finding that general manager to run the business for you. And right. I help my clients think through ways of incentivizing and you know, kind of setting it up uh, for success. Um, the, the challenge of finding the right operator with the right concept and then the right investor that matches up with the operator and the concept and then an operating agreement that works for everybody is the definition of threading a needle. So I'll, I'll, yeah. I'll say, um, 
that does pose a little bit of a challenge, but no, we, I, like I said, I'm beta testing right now. So I think for those that are open-minded uh, to a lot of different mm. types of opportunities, it can definitely make sense. But in most cases, it is finding that right guy or girl to, uh, to run business for you. Yeah, I would, I would think another thing that would be an opportunity for you and then one that you could pass on would be help helping people with roll-ups. Like if you got, you know, if you know 10 people in the junk removal business, right, maybe each of those individually would get, and I'm just throwing out numbers, like a, a 3x multiple on an exit. But, yeah. but if there's 10 of them, now they're big enough to attract that, that PE firm and maybe that 3x goes to like a 6x, you know, so yeah. everyone in that group um, kind of benefits. Have you ever gone down that road or thought about it no it's a good point and i've given some thought to it there are a lot of different angles <laughs> i have to I have a hard time sometimes just saying no um, but that is a practice mm -hmm. i'm making right now because there is so much opportunity right there and we're seeing and we're seeing so much interest there's lots of funding interest rates are low as in real estate and it's all about what is the most streamlined approach that can help the most people um, but no roll-ups and there, there, again, I've got a few cases on more of a small basis where we're connecting two or three franchisees and doing a roll-up. We're actually working on one here in Atlanta right now with, um, with a business, a concrete business. Um, but no, that's definitely a bigger opportunity down the road. Awesome. Well, this has been great. I appreciate your time today, John. Before I wrap up, I always do the hyper fast round if you're ready for some rapid fire questions and answers. Bring it. All right, what's your biggest piece of advice to a new investor? Yeah, I think getting out there and getting off the couch and getting active. You know, what I found in my career is activity breeds activity. So if you're looking at option A and option B, uh, oftentimes option C comes out of left field. And so it's getting out there, having the conversation, staying active. Okay. Uh, what's your biggest piece of advice to an experienced investor? Uh, say no more than yes. Uh, you know, have the discipline not to bring emotion and uh, passion into uh, into a particular deal, but be willing to walk away at all times. Mm. What's the biggest challenge you've had in business, and have you overcome it? Biggest challenge in business, I, I think um, I had to work through some partnership issues in the past where I I had two partners, and ultimately the partners ended up in a position where they weren't willing to talk, and I was the mediator and. You know, it's allowed me to counsel a lot of my clients that, hey, partnerships are great until they're not. And in hindsight, there were some things that if we had discussed them early on in our arrangement, I think would have helped us get through kind of the rough waters later on. Where do you see yourself 10 years from now? So plan to retire uh, from a, uh, in five years. So 42 years old, planning on an earlier retirement. Um, and so putting all the wheels in motion and positioning things. Now I'll never be officially retired, but it's going to allow me to do a lot more mentoring, a lot more pro bono speaking, which I love doing. Mm -hmm. I was up at the University of Georgia the other day talking with students all day. And that's, that's what I love doing. So if I can step aside from the financial uh, piece of it and just have passive and semi-passive cash flows coming in, um, that's what I'm working towards. But no, I've got a young family, so we, we will be traveling as the kids get older and uh, really just uh, trying to live life without regrets. Amazing. Thank you so much for being on the show today, John. If, um, if, if our listeners out there or, or viewers on YouTube, if they are interested in learning more about working with you or, or just connecting with you, yeah. uh, what are the best ways for them to, to do that? 
Yeah, connect with me on LinkedIn, uh, John Austinson. Uh, come out to our website, franbridgeconsulting.com, and I, I know you'll include a, a link in the notes. Uh, but sign up for our newsletter, and uh, if you'd like to jump on even a 10-minute introductory call, I'd love to, to make time for that and get to know you and help you think through if this is something that, um, that could make sense for you. All right. Thank you for being on the show today, John. To our listeners and viewers out there, thanks for tuning in. Please leave us some comments, leave us some feedback, and Share this with someone that you think could benefit from hearing it or seeing it as well. We'll see you next time. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Hyper Fat Show. Subscribe to us if you want to make sure you get the latest and greatest Hyper Fat Shows. And remember, we love reviews. Reviews help us bring better and better guests and improve our shows. So give us the good, the bad, and the ugly. We hope you enjoyed the show, and we will see you next time.